0: Okay, hello. Welcome to CornellRadio.com. We are Scientifically Speaking. (laughs) Zach, stop making noises. (laughs) Never. Uh, I'm Shane. I'm Dave.
1: I'm Zach. Hey,
0: guess what, guys? Zach and I finally have our own microphones, so now we don't have to fight over this one. crazy. Look, we're talking at the same time. (laughs) Look, I can talk over Dave now while he talks. Oh, God, that's worrisome. (laughs) All right, what are we talking about today, boys? We're going to talk about Dave's favorite thing in the (laughs) entire world. I'm so excited. This is actually... I've been waiting for this episode for... We're doing an episode on evolution. For 21 years. No, literally, actually. Actually, I think my entire life is building up to this exact moment. Yeah, (laughs) so we're doing evolution today. Um, We're going to talk about, you know, how how life came to be what it is now, um, how it continues to change, and all the stuff that goes into that. Um, And let's see, where are we starting?
1: We'll start from... What does evolution stand for?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So on our notes today, we were just looking at it, and apparently Zach made a really strange acronym of evolution. So oh, go for it, Zach. But you left at
0: the end. did you?
1: Yeah, know? I did. I just fixed it now, though. Oh, okay, good. So I was trying update. really hard to come up with a good acronym, and I didn't. So then I just started naming animals. So we've got elephants, vultures, otters, lemurs, urchins, tigers, impalas, octopuses, and newts.
2: You've got a serious lack of, I mean... You've got literally one non-vertebrate on there. Two non-vertebrates. That makes me upset. Is that really only the only non that you know of? Come on. I, I mean, I, I, sponges. Man. I couldn't come I up with an S, animal
1: but. that started with an I or an N on my own. Okay. Well. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you yeah. To Google like animals starting with I. Yeah. Is your search history going to do that now? Okay. Yes.
2: Well <laughs> Let's actually get into this. Okay.
0: I'm we'll so start. excited.
2: Okay, um, Dave's really happy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about evolution. How life on Earth has changed over the past four billion years. You hear that? That's billion with a B. Life has been around for a
0: long ass time. Ass time. Um, we're going to not make that joke <laughs> happen on air. Life's been
1: around for that long. Yeah, dude. Say the number again. About three
2: point nine billion years is when how life is first Earth? appeared. Four and a half billion years. Yeah, old. that's so crazy. So it only took about five hundred million. Only five hundred million years to. <laughs> happened, which like 500 million years is still a very long time, but it's pretty impressive that Earth formed and then pretty much, Ooh. boom, life.
1: That's pretty neato.
2: So because we're talking about how life on Earth changed, we're going to avoid the origin of life because evolution can only work on things that are already alive. So we're going to avoid talking about how life formed on Earth because it's a little iffy right now. Scientists are still working, on, working that out, so we're going to start from a point of, Life is already existing on Earth, and we're going to talk about how all these little factors can affect how things change over these past four billion years. How we got here. <gasps> how we did got we here. get here? That's Well, we'll get there. I, I walked. <laughs> I sledded on Shane. Yeah, we talked down the hill.
0: That. Yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, evolution. Yeah. Where should we start? What part should we start with, do you think? Well, should we, shall we start with, like... Either well, shall we start with, like you know? Shall we? Shall we? Shall we start? Shall we? I'm so lost right <laughs> <laughs> History. I'm really how sorry. About like history. That's what yeah, I was trying to say. History. I was trying to say, how did we figure out what it is and where? Who is the guy? The guy was the guy. Who was the, the, the guy. guy. Was... Of
2: course, if anyone has
0: ever heard of evolution in
2: their lives, the biggest name they associate with it is Charles Darwin. Mm. He was a naturalist in the 1800s who took a nice little, pretty voyage down to the Galapagos Islands. He was British and. Uh, he saw these birds on the islands noticed a lot of weird things about them. And that's caused him to sort of put, the, put together the idea of how animals can change over time. However, Darwin wasn't the first to put forward an idea of animals changing. What? There are lots of other names in the history of science. and We won't bore you with all of them. But one of the biggest ones we should probably tell you about is Lamarck. Lamarck is one of the earlier evolutionary theorists. And he was dead wrong in a lot of ways. <laughs> he was real close. He was close. He tried
1: real hard. Wait, I just want to stop and say that, like, Darwin and Lamarck, those are, those are both pretty cool names. Unlike the internet-associated fellows, right? Yeah, they had <laughs> yeah. lame names. Yeah. yeah, this is great. <laughs> Lamarck I like I like is much better. Is going. I agree. Lamarck.
2: Lamarck. He put together this idea that, okay, well... How did giraffes get their long necks? That was like a big example. That's like like the classic example. Any person who's ever taken a biology class has probably heard this example. Lamarck sees giraffes and thinks, okay, we have these giraffes that have very long necks. How did they get there? Why do they have these long necks? Well, obviously, it's to reach the plants that are very high, the leaves of these really tall trees, right? No other animal can reach those leaves, so they're always untouched. So the giraffes are taking advantage of this niche, Smart which giraffes. is a little part of the environment, a little place that they can live and work and do their thing. They're the niche. only ones who can reach these plants, so they have these long necks to do it. But how do they get the long necks? Well, Zach, me, muscles. We talked about muscles. Muscles, I like those. Can we, can we like, you can grow muscles, right? Yeah. You can like, train them and stretch them and do and that, they right? They get all bigger. They yeah. get all bigger, right? Question for you. Lamarck thought that if you draft stretch his neck very hard to reach these leaves, strained real hard, stretch his neck out, then its kids would have longer necks, too. Well,
0: first of all, it would have longer neck. Well, yeah. And then it that would also have kids it would with have long kids necks. That had longer necks. So, Zach, hmm. question. You're real buff. Are your
2: kids going to come out the womb being able to dead pick up things? I don't know (laughs) terminology. Are your kids going to come out the womb being buff? I hope so. (laughs) Thanks. That's scientific. (laughs) Probably not, I guess. (laughs) Babies aren't shaped that way. Uh Uh-huh. Because that's not how muscles work, right? That's not how our body works. Yeah. You can't build up a thing and then pass it to your kids. You're not going to pass on More your biceps to your kids.
0: I can't just reach real hard and have my arm grow. That's <laughs> another problem <laughs> with sort of it. It's sort of the other thing. This reminds me of
1: an episode of the Ali G show where he's talking to a bunch of basketball players. And one guy, he's like, all right, so you're you know, you're know, six foot and like real good at basketball. So how hard would I have to train to be as tall as you are? The guy's like, man, you can't do that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly idea. it. That's yeah. Lamarck was wrong. That's oh. not how things work. We know that. We know that that's not how you pass on things. We know that you can't just stretch your neck real hard and be have a long neck. I know. I have a long neck. I'm a long neck <laughs> guy. I I'm not gonna pass it on to my kids. Hopefully. Well, you should yeah, try well, just stretching, stretching your it.
1: head down Going back yeah, into your neck hole. Yeah, just constantly... Does this work? For now, yeah. Okay. No, you just raised your shoulders. It didn't really do anything. <laughs> your spine's in the way.
2: Anyway, <laughs> what we should talk about now is the next person, the, probably the biggest name in evolution, who uh, sort of first... Well, maybe not first, but anyway. He, he was the biggest name in yeah. a thing called natural selection. We've all heard about this one. Yeah. This is this is the big one this is the thing that everyone's heard of when it comes to evolution darwin took these trips to the galapagos islands saw these birds with very different beaks different sizes different lengths different strengths cool stuff right he noticed that they had different diets also and he thought okay why do these birds have different beaks and different diets are they related So he started thinking the same way that Lamarck was thinking. Like, okay, well, how does some animal have some trait that makes it work well in its environment? So Darwin saw these finches, saw what they are eating, and said, okay, well, these birds have big, strong beaks, and they can crack open the big nuts, whereas these birds have little beaks, and they eat insects. You know? He put together these ideas of all these different birds on these little, tiny, different islands, and he realized something. He realized that when you have these different traits and different environmental pressures you can change or rather things as a group can change hmm. that's the fundamental thing that sort of it's evolution really simply boils down to a simple rule pressures cause change
1: that seems you know that seems pretty reasonable okay so say you have two birds
0: right
2: they all started on the they started on the same island right the big populations of birds on this island they all had the same food source they all looked the same now one group moved to a different island Mm. a group of birds moved to a different island the first group part of the first group stayed on the first island the first island had insects so all the birds there had little beaks now the birds on the new island still had little beaks but there weren't as many insects there were big old nuts big old nuts so what happens is you have the birds with little beaks can't break open the nuts Oh, they starve to death. Damn. They die. They don't have kids. Shit. However, there were a couple birds. The weirdos. The weirdos who had these bigger beaks. Just, just a little bit. Genetic mutations, just simple genetic changes in them that made them have bigger beaks. Now, all of a sudden, there's these birds that were the weirdos that now can survive on this new island. And while all their little beaked cousins are dying off, they're able to survive and their population grows rapidly. Now you've got an island with birds that have big beaks and birds that have little beaks. And that's all just because of little environmental pressures of the food source in this case. Eventually, these populations live on these islands for years and years and years and generations and generations and generations. And eventually, they change so much that when one of the big beak birds goes back to the first island with the little beak birds, it tries to find a mate and it can't. They're too different to have viable, fertile offspring anymore. Now, those are two different species. Whoa. That's all there is to it. You have these simple environmental pressures, some sort of reproductive isolation, boom. That's all there is to it. Simple rules.
1: That's the species boundaries. (laughs)
2: Uh, The species boundary. That's an interesting question. It's it's really hard, and um, even... Experts in the field disagree about what a species is. Oh. so Which is, is it,
0: super annoying? It's
2: really annoying. It's a really because it's a really complicated concept. How genetically distinct do you have to be before you're a species? How reproductively isolated do you have to be before you're a distinct species? Because it's a spectrum. Some things can not breed at all. Some things just their penis just won't fit just totally different genitalia can't even can't even reproduce right. some things can fit and produce a, a a fetus and the fetus dies oh so it's a little bit more there are some that like for example uh horses and <coughs> donkeys can breed I know, I know those animals and they can have a baby that grows up big and strong mule and is fertile and is infertile sorry is totally so, infertile, can't yeah. have kids of its oh. own, so they can make the next generation, but that generation can't proliferate itself. Dang! So there's all sorts of different. It's it's a spectrum of uh, reproductive isolation. That's why the species concept is so hard to nail down. Right. It's it's a really complicated uh, subject. Where do you draw the would line? You, because would of you spectrum. say
0: that the softest boundary is have being able to have. Uh, being able to reproduce or sorry like not being able to produce fertile offspring
2: the softest boundary like yeah the most I, relaxed one like the most relaxed boundary like, would there's be like, no one
0: who would say like if you like uh who would say like you know if you can have like fertile offspring there's still a way to be like different species
2: yeah because it depends on how far down the line you have to go before you get an infertile offspring sometimes it's several generations later where oh. you get infertile offspring well, that's like horses and donkeys, oh, you get mules shit. that are immediately infertile. They can grow up big and strong with a can of kids. There are some that it takes several generations before it is unable to breed. That's pretty, that's pretty goofy. So that's Dang. why it's so hard. It's so
0: That sucks.
2: It's, it's okay, a that, really, really complicated... I had complicated, literally
0: never thought about it that way until you just said that, but that, yeah, okay. That it's sucks. a complicated thing. Right.
1: Too too much, too much so complicated. That's, so, so let's that's talk a little bit about natural right?
2: selection. Yeah, okay. let's explain that a little bit more. Yeah, Natural selection. Shane, you want to... You have any thoughts? Chime in here. I don't want to
0: hog the airspace. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna let you hug this most of the time. <laughs> this, is your, this is your baby. But um, baby, this is your fertile baby. The idea. So I think something we haven't specifically mentioned. <laughs> this is my mule. <laughs> um, something we haven't necessarily specifically mentioned is like natural selection refers to this idea of fitness in a niche. Correct. Correct. So, okay. So we mentioned the word um, the word niche or hmm? n- niche before. Um, yeah how do you pronounce so that can we get it a doesn't definitive matter either uh, people, way. there is no I've definitive. heard it let's every call new niche. it let's call it niche because yeah. I've like it's it easier to say okay, well, that I've one. heard that too which that is bizarre really. um, that's definitely not That's a name good. anyway so um so let's let's call it niche so uh, this was like mentioned but I'll just elaborate a little bit further and then correct me if I'm incorrect but um the idea so the idea of a niche is we called it a place in your environment where you can sort of like Uh, sort of like fill out without running into anybody else, but that's not like a physical location in your environment. It It could be. It could be. What it it tends to mean is a role to play in your ecosystem. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. So in this case, the role that giraffes are playing... Is the role of animals that eat the, the leaves of really yeah really big tall, tall animals trees. that eat big tall trees right exactly big, and so they're big tall <laughs> big leaves. tall tree so leaves. At that, so prior prior to there being giraffes in this ecosystem no one was doing that and so they were competing with lots of other animals so there was a there was an empty niche for them to fill um, and that was being big tall animals that eat big tall trees
2: that's exactly right when you right. have these selective pressures that's what a select that's what I mean by selective pressure uh, some sort of environmental thing that causes things to be a different way so you have this right so something that's this example, pushing you away empty niche yeah in the bird right. example it was uh resources right where you have you know so well i can't
0: eat the thing that i'm used to eating so right. we'll have to change something that's either pushing you away Ugh. from your current niche or toward another one
2: yeah, that's um, a pretty good way to put it.
0: So that right, that's an environmental pressure. Um, and then I would... So the other term that we didn't define is fitness. We actually haven't even mentioned this yet, yeah. but this is something that's pretty this, important. Yeah, very, this is a big thing important. that comes, comes into thing.
2: Darwin's and Alfred Russell Wallace's. I can't forget him. <laughs> I would be remiss to ignore Wallace, who yeah. was equally important to Darwin, but everyone seems to forget about him.
0: Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the, the idea of, of fitness, right? So like something being fit... Um, is how well, and correct me also if I'm wrong, I have, I'm remembering this from literally ninth grade, which the <laughs> last time I took Wait, biology. that's the last time you took a
2: bio course? Yeah. Man, that's um, bullshit. <laughs> that's <But laughs> okay. should be taking it's bio courses. I haven't um,
1: taken a bio course since eighth grade.
2: Eighth grade? How did you get to <laughs> high school without taking a bio course? Because
0: I took bio he, in eighth grade. He took the, the high school <laughs> course. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so anyway, so uh, fitness is, is if basically it's a measure of how well you fit how well you are filling the niche that you are attempting to fill. Yes. Right. So,
1: how how well you
0: well, fit how well you, the niche. It's how well you fit into also, a niche. Also, but not fitness. just that. It's okay. not just how well you right. fit into a niche. Right.
2: It's also how well you fit into a niche and are able to succeed in passing on your successful right. successful it's genes.
0: effectively a measure uh, of yeah, your yeah. reproducibility correct? yeah
2: a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about this idea of survival right. of the fittest they think survival of the fittest and they say okay that means survival of the strongest strongest fastest tallest bestest survival but of the exactly. zach it could be survival <laughs> of the wimpiest survival of the thing most likely to run away survival of the thing that is most camouflaged yeah, survival I mean, of the rabbits. smartest
0: rabbits survival like of the fastest great example of like you literally make any sound, and they sprint in the opposite direction. <laughs> obviously that's worked extremely well from them for them because they are still here and in vast, like ridiculously vast numbers. Oh yeah, um, yeah, so the, yeah, there is something to be said for like fitness through wimpiness. Yeah, that's exactly amazing. right. It's it's a kind of a <laughs> strange
2: concept, us because we think of as we think of fitness like oh I go to the gym. We I mean fit. physical fitness when we yeah. say fitness, which is not, not what, necessarily the case. You
0: need to like have a separate definition in this context because in this case fitness is how well you fit into basically what it means is like your reproduce your reproductive fitness. It's, it's your ability to survive long enough to have babies and then keep them alive long enough for them to have babies, etc.
2: So we talked about genes, right? That's what that's. That sort of all of this hinges on genetics. (laughs) You know, it sort of hinges on okay, well, the birds on that second island would have all died had there not been at least a couple that uh, had some sort of weird difference to them. And these differences right. if are every from, single, If all of them had little yeah, beaks... Yeah, that's an important thing, because, you
1: know, if, that's that was an assumption we made in that scenario. Exactly. exactly. They yeah. might have just gone over and died.
0: Yeah. And that, every that single Which happens a lot. Right. Yeah. If every single one of the birds that had gone to the second island had tiny beaks, and none of them were able to break open the nuts, they would have all starved to death, mm-hmm. and there would be no finches Or flown to a different birds, island. But and then <laughs> Darwin <laughs> would have been real screwed. <laughs> <laughs> he would have figured it out, I think. You just um, wouldn't have had the yeah. beautiful finch inspiration. Yeah. So anyway, so continue with our explanation. So basically,
2: genes, you know, that's your DNA. That's the uh, blueprint for you. That's what makes you you. It's what makes a tree a tree. It's what makes it's part of what mushroom a mushroom. <laughs> well, yeah. It's what makes you a human being. It's But it's the blueprint. It's the <laughs> yeah, architectural yeah, yeah. planning. And there can be little differences right. along the way yes. due to other things. But the point is that DNA is the code to make you you it makes proteins it makes cells it drives all these different parts of your body and every single well almost every single trait you have like color of your hair color of your eyes widow's peak uh being able to roll your tongue stuff like that stupid shit like that <laughs> is and also really important shit like also your blood really type yeah. and
0: like the fact that you have bones <laughs> <laughs> all of the those existence things of a heart <laughs> those are all also genetically determined
2: <laughs> and so the DNA code is very simple. It's made up of only four letters. It's a very short alphabet, not like ours with 26. That's bullshit. That's way too many. It's far more than we need. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of
0: things. So, it
2: says only four, or I guess five, things. But we'll, we don't need to go into that. The we'll point is, it's that for a it. very short it's got four. alphabet with a code. And what it does is, every little bit of you is determined somewhere in this code. The color of your eyes has some code somewhere in your dna it's somewhere in your dna
0: that tells you tells your body what color to make your eyes it's just like last week when we were talking about binary or two weeks ago rather when we were talking about binary it's like three weeks ago
2: now oh Oh, yeah we had break
0: anyway regardless when we're talking about binary binary is just a series of zeros and ones exactly right and it's the language that computers use to speak to each other and we can use it to encode. Every single thing that you've ever seen a computer do, in a very similar way, with four letters instead of two numbers. Eh, five. Well, the code itself only requires four. It's the replication that across the fifth one. It's not important. So, <laughs> there, with with only four letters, we can encode all of the things that you've ever seen a living thing do, um, or rather, a living thing be. Rhino horns, um, giraffe necks, and bacterial pili, reproductive
2: pili, and mushroom caps, and all that
0: good stuff. All of this was written into code in DNA. Um, so it's just, it's in the same way that you have you know, zero one 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 zero zero represents some number, or some character, etc. You know. Some AGT, CGT, ATG,
2: something like that turns into, oh, that means his eyes are blue. Exactly.
1: Yeah, like ATG means ass to grass. <laughs> Squatting.
2: Uh, no anyway so that's the point you have and this code because it's very simple imagine if you had binary and you had 0011111. so you had zero and it changed to zero zero one 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 zero whoa it's a simple change really small change but what if it changes a lot what that's entirely two different numbers you know those are represented those represent two different things with only one little change And that's what's possible with mutations. That's what mutations are. Whoa! Simple changes in your DNA sequence, and it doesn't have to be one letter. It could switch letters. It could switch entire chunks of your DNA. Yeah. And for the whole lot of
0: weird mutations. And for the record, like this is actually a really good analogy to binary, mostly because if you've ever opened up a file and had your computer be like, "This is corrupted. I can't read it," that's literally what happened. Somewhere a zero got changed to a one, and your computer went to read it and was like this number doesn't belong here something's really wrong and that's <laughs> and what it, a lot of mutations and are and that's literally the exa- it's the exact same idea with mutating dna is that somebody was reading it and rewriting it and by somebody i mean you know molecules and cells were reading it and rewriting it and messed up and missed a single letter or put the wrong letter and all of a sudden you have the wrong code which could be terrible or,
2: or, it could be beneficial. Could that's give you a weird little say? Big you have a beak. weird mutation that switches your entire <laughs> switches entire chunks of your DNA and it kills you, makes you unable to be alive. Ugh. Also, say you switch that entire happens. parts of your DNA and now you've got a big old beak. Yeah, well, or be a slightly cool. bigger beak, even just slightly, just big enough to crush those nuts. <laughs> and now, <laughs> grow up! It's like poop, you're literally thirteen. <laughs> it. it's you're like literally a thirteen. <laughs> And when you have that little slight change, and now all of a sudden you've got this really intense environmental pressure trying to, well, not trying to, because I don't want to anthropomorphize it, but <laughs> you have the environmental pressure that, you know, is disallowing that organism or population to continue doing what it's doing. So, and then some change occurs, maybe that change will work out, and this happens, happened very often, very frequently, that... You had these changes occur due to environmental pressure, and boom, you've got some sort of evolutionary process. So, natural selection's cool. Yeah. It's the big one. It's it's Oh, the, the big one. It's, it's not the
1: only one, though.
2: True. Oh. Natural selection is not the only evolutionary mechanism. Natural selection is just one of several. Damn, son. Yeah. So natural selection represents the environment pressuring things to change. There are other things like sexual selection, for example. Okay, so peacocks. Peacocks are bright and big and beautiful and pretty colored and, you know, flashy, all that good stuff, right? Which seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a peacock right? Because they well, live me. outside. Natural selection would if if you follow only natural selection, you would think, okay, well, that peacock is dumb and has a stupid <laughs> mutation and is going to immediately get picked off by a predator who sees right. it from 10,000 miles away because that's stupid. <laughs> Except there was another peacock or another group of peacocks that were a little more drab, not as pretty. They survived better, didn't get eaten by predators, but the female peacocks didn't like them. They weren't sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Actually that. <laughs> and that's what sexual selection is, which can act in opposition to natural selection it can work with natural natural selection it but it is another evolutionary mechanism that puts pressure on populations to change
1: don't uh so the peacocks they're big old feathers don't they big also old, can they like
2: scare predators is that a thing that they do at all i don't know enough about peacocks but i'm pretty sure it's mostly for sexual selection okay yeah
0: it might be like a random added... Like he was saying, sexual selection can work right. with natural selection. And that so would, it,
2: if that were the case that there were
1: like eyeball-shaped things on their <laughs> right, that looked sexy and, and also, also caused predators to be like, holy shit, that's a giant face. I'm going
2: to run away. <laughs> exactly. That would be... It's, it's possible. It's possible for right. natural selection and sexual selection to work in the same direction. It's possible for them to work in opposite directions. There's all sorts of weird stuff going yeah, on with evolutionary exactly. mechanisms. Coolio. There's also other things like Genetic drift. Genetic drift is a really cool. Yeah. Okay. Say so you have a bunch of green bugs and a bunch of blue bugs. They're all the same bugs, all the same species of bug, but some of them are blue and some of them are green. You're in a big green field. Predators pick off all the blue ones, leave the green ones. The green ones survive, reproduce. Now you have an only green population. That's natural selection at work. What if you have the same population of blue and green beetles? Someone comes along... And steps on all the green ones, totally by accident. Didn't see them there, wasn't trying to, just accidentally stepped on every single green beetle. Wow, that is a You're left carefully with placed footstep. You're left with blue beetles. They're big beetles. Oh. <laughs> You're left with only blue beetles, which, and they survive and pass on their genes and reproduce, and now you've got an entire population of only blue beetles that wasn't picked by natural selection. It wasn't sexual selection. It was entirely random. Just a random thing happened that totally changed the genetic frequencies of that population. So that's basically that's what genetic drift is: random changes in populations,
1: unrelated to like a given trait that they have. Exactly. A certain trait is so laws. right. So there's yeah. A, yeah so there's exactly. A, so
0: there's a few instances. So there's what Dave was saying: we're like something tragic and completely random that has nothing to do, like. No genetic mutations you could have possibly had would have prevented this awful thing from just happening. totally randomly got stepped on. Sucks Volcano to be you. Volcano explodes and everyone around it dies and it has nothing, nothing to do you with your do genes. genes. It's just that those people died. There's also this, you know, you can the the other way that this could occur um, is if you have some mutation that doesn't do anything bad, right? Like my all, you know, your eyes are like red, right? Like that's not. Bad. It doesn't hurt you in any way. It's weird. It's certainly strange It's probably not necessary in any sort of realistic scenario for people at least It wouldn't be a negative sexual selection because some people would be interested and attracted <laughs> to it, Right. Yeah, and it wouldn't it certainly wouldn't be negative, but it's also not positive it Doesn't do anything beneficial for you It's possible That you'll have a baby, they won't have that gene, and it will completely go away with you. Which is what happens the vast majority of times with mutations that don't do anything helpful for anyone. But it's also possible that your baby will have red eyes. Maybe you'll have three babies, and they'll all have red eyes. And then they'll have three babies, and they'll all have red eyes. And then somehow, I mean, this is thousands of years later, all of Europe has red eyes. Totally random, for no good reason it didn't help anyone it wasn't natural selection it wasn't it wasn't sexual selection it wasn't it like detrimental it wasn't anyway detrimental either. it didn't totally help neutral. anyone it just everyone's got red eyes now so that's like a really interesting way that people can develop that we can like not people that organisms of any kind can develop new mutations can develop new features new things without any sort of pressures acting on them at all, because these mutations happen regardless of whether something wants them to happen.
1: So when people go and look at a, oh, this trait exists, therefore it must have been caused by, let's come up with a reason.
2: Exactly. There's not always a reason. There's not always a reason. (laughs) Although, usually when you're looking at big-scale features like that. Usually there is, yeah. But there are lots of examples where it's just like, just genetic drift happened, the population, genetic frequencies, yep, just changed.
0: Just super for cool. Totally random <laughs> reasons. It's also cool because it like explains. It's just every everything that like why the heck would this have ever happened? There's n- there was no environmental pressure for this. Uh, it's well, it still could have just still could have just well, that's happened exactly it. correct. There was <laughs> nothing it just preventing it, and yeah. it also fits in with the theory that mutations like it. It 100 does not contradict anything. It fits in with the theory that like these mutations are random. It's not like things are it's not like Lamarck thought where things want to be bigger and stronger so they just try real hard and then their <laughs> genes change and they God. actually get bigger and stronger it's actually just like
1: ball z they just start shouting yeah, and get huge, yeah exactly and then that's what their... zach does okay now i a giraffe going super saiyan
0: that's gonna be our blog post <laughs> that would just, be i'm gonna draw a picture of a giraffe co- yeah, of yeah, a i'm super down for saiyan that giraffe. i will right, work on it
1: i'm gonna write um, that down so i'm gonna
2: hold you all right bet. perfect so
0: uh but yeah so um it's not that that happens, it's that random genetic mutations occur, and then the may ones that- May or may not be selected and, on? And the ones that have the good mutations are more likely, although not necessarily, to reproduce better, not exclusively, <laughs> than their counterparts that don't have <laughs> the By better mutations. we mean potential.
2: most likely more, that means like more, more children, more offspring, yeah. more passing or, out of genes.
0: Yeah, or more healthier offspring, potentially. Um, also good. And so, Quantity or quality, or yeah, both. yeah. And th- that would lead to, over a very long period of time, those genes becoming dominant in the population. Um, let's move on, because we spent a lot of time on this. I think we've done a very good job of introducing us. Um, although there was one more thing, I guess. Do you want to talk about geographic isolation?
2: Geographic isolation, um, yeah, we can go over it a little bit. The point is that like we talked about those bird examples, right? Now you have one bird on one island, a group of birds on one island, a group of birds on another island. And so, you know, they change over many many generations and then some of them go back and are unable to interbreed and they're two different species now because they're unable to reproduce and make some sort of hybrid the point is that they had some sort of geographic isolation which is often very important in speciation so say you have um those birds that works fine with geographic isolation however geographic isolation might not always be necessary for speciation to occur Okay. There's a thing called sympatric speciation, which is essentially, imagine it's a group of organisms all in one place who still somehow speciate. Say those birds are all on the same island, and they just, some group of them just happen to focus on the nuts. Some group happen to focus on the insects. Grow up, seriously.
0: Zach's <laughs> so like, hee, 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 focusing same on They're nuts.
2: all able to reproduce. But they don't. For some reason or another, you've got some sort of uh, reproductive isolation that may or may not be caused by some sort of environmental pressure or may just be random. But you have two groups of diverging, which means separating species on the same island in the same location without isolation. They just happen to do it. Sympatric speciation is really really weird and really complicated and like the species concept it's hard to really nail down a good definition for right. what is
0: Sympatric I would assume that it like wouldn't happen quite as frequently as or at least like without as much certainty I guess with really we nice, have no you know? idea no. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that, that's unfortunate um, <laughs> evolutionary yeah. biology is a really yeah. complicated field but yeah good it's thing you it's, picked uh... it's very cool um cool um
1: yeah. All right. That's we're, a
0: lot of stuff. Yeah, we more just threw, we threw a lot of
1: shit was. at you.
2: But I think I think that was a good intro yeah, to evolution. I think so. Pretty much covered. There's a lot more depth to all this, so please feel free to go learn more if you want to. But I think we've covered the very basics of evolution because yeah. I've been taking this for years <laughs> now, and there's I could do a very long show about <laughs> yeah. this.
0: So let, the other night when we like decided we were gonna do this. It was like it was like yeah like you know this is gonna be great and Dave was like man how do we pick what topics we're gonna talk about like I don't know there's so much stuff like are we gonna go through and like filter through everything and just like sort of looked around I was like I think I could do like I could do like an 18 year <laughs> show on this just like <laughs> literally talk about all of the things that I've learned since I was born about evolution which
2: is pretty much like what I do I know he's just he's my just entire constantly... life is an 18 hour evolution show
0: 18 year well.
2: 21 year. <gasps> I forgot how old I was. Oh. Like I did on the
1: internet episode.
0: <laughs> That's um, true. Yeah. Uh okay, so let's do should we do a music break we'll and then we'll come break. back to we'll come back and cover we're some gonna more stuff. We're going to come back and and I think we'll jump to the myths and misconceptions. Are we going to There's some stuff I want to cover first, but yes. We got some
2: time. Okay. We got All some right,
0: time. cool. All right. So we'll, we'll come back, we'll give some more stuff and then we're going to get to the really juicy bit of the controversy myths <gasps> and misconceptions. Evolution. So All right, we'll play. be back in a few minutes. I'm gonna let's. I'm gonna maybe we'll do two songs because this one's really short. But I really just want to listen to this. So <laughs> I'll 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 see you in a bit. We'll
2: indulge him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to scientifically
2: speaking on CornellRadio.com. You're listening to Zach, Dave, and Shane as we talk about the wonders of evolution. <laughs>
0: I don't know how I feel about that. Evolution's
1: (laughs) wonderful. Don't feel anything except the great love and happiness.
0: Okay, so like I said before and then was corrected. That was was weirder. Now we're going back to it. Uh, We're going to talk about the many myths and misconceptions of evolution. A Um, lot of people think a lot of things about evolution, (laughs) and a lot of people are wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to sort of dive into the big parts of
0: what people argue about evolution. We're going to go right into the controversy and of it. For, and for this this part of the show, we're going to pretend that Zach is not only has no idea what's going on and hasn't been listening to the rest of the show. Who? But also... Well, it's going to require some stuff that we talked about well, earlier. The basics going to require of it. some stuff, but he's going to just ignore all of it. And also, <laughs> <laughs> is on top of all of that, particularly aggressive in his disbelief. Of pretty much everything we've said so far. Um, you Darwinist so, nutters.
2: Oh my God. We've already started.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I'm already angry. Zach, do you have any questions for us?
1: Me? I might have one. So I, I think that evolution is just a theory. It's not proven. Do you have any response to that?
0: So here's the big issue with using the word theory in this context. Evolution is, in fact, just a theory. (gasps) You are right. Yes! (laughs) Score one! However, us zero. What you've been thinking about as just a theory that means something that is unproven is a hypothesis. What? Which is the thing that we start with before doing an experiment. You come up with a hypothesis, and you think, hmm, this is how this might work. And then you do an experiment, and then you decide whether or not it works. That's not what a scientific theory is. In this case. I'm nodding. Dave's Dave's looking directly into Zach's eyes and nodding vigorously. Um, (laughs) In this case, we're talking about a scientific theory of evolution, which is analogous to our scientific theory of gravity, which I don't think anyone would contend is nothing but a hypothesis. We.
1: eh. (laughs) I've flown before on my own (laughs) power. Anyway,
0: um
2: this this <laughs> You're notion not that aggressively anti-evolutionary. <laughs> <You can> fly.
0: <laughs> are you flying with your aggression? <laughs> Just pure aggression. <laughs> the, this notion of a theory is an idea of, of we've actually like composed this explanation for how things have been for 4 billion years and are still again. and still are currently based entirely on gathered evidence. So just to put all of this to rest, the fact that we're calling it a theory is not a weak point. It's a strong point. <laughs> it means that we're basing our knowledge of what this is on evidence that we've gathered that says that this is a evidence. A lot, of evidence. A lot of evidence. Scientists
2: use the word theory very differently from how day-to-day people use the word theory. Exactly. Just
1: like fitness.
2: Just like fit, Actually, yeah. Good, a good point. point. <laughs> You're shooting yourself on the foot there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I got another one that's even better. Oh, I'm excited.
1: So I hear that we evolved from monkeys, and I'm oh, curious here we go. as to why there are
2: still monkeys. Why there are still monkeys? Because we, we came from them? Yeah. So, how, so let where, me ask you a question. Monkeys? Let me ask you a monkeys. question. Why are they still alive? If you came from your parents, why are there still your parents? Uh.
0: <laughs> wow, that's perfect. That is literally exactly the response.
2: Well, cuz they haven't uh
0: well. <laughs> yeah. Monkeys you know. didn't
2: literally turn into people. It's not, <laughs> not like a monkey just like transformed not, into a person. That
0: would be Lamarckian. That would in fact Yeah, be, uh, I really want hairy Lamarckian. and be have super a extreme. bigger brain. <laughs> just suck your and tail back in hand <laughs> control. Yeah, exactly. This is That fact, is a
2: bad argument. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the the problem is obviously that like first of all in order for evolution to occur which we've said a bunch of times it happens at a reproductive level it's it's not like an individual changes their genes it's that they have babies that have mixed genes from them or you know and their mate or for, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Zach's pointing oh. at his headphones. I'm good now. Ways. That was weird. Okay. I, think. Um, I think it's because I'm... Yeah. Anyway. Um, so... Uh, or or however they produce, whether it be asexually or sexually, et cetera. The point is that there are opportunities for gene mutation through reproduction that then can cause, you know, these, like, different features that can eventually lead to the evolution of a new species. However, you're always talking about the, like... Your offspring can be different from you and can be different from each other, but you don't disappear yeah, as exactly. soon as a different offspring is born. In fact... Like it's not like there's a
2: quota for a number of lives. And like we were saying like, with the fishes, right.
0: it's not even necessary that all of your population has offspring that, like, you know, eventually homogenize into a new species. In fact, it's pretty... It's, like, very, very common for the reason for speciation to occur, like... For the reason to be, you split and are in two segmented groups, and one of the groups changes, and the first group stays the same, and now you have two species where there were previously one. So, which is, of course, the That's reason... a branching thing. There's right.
2: also terms where you have a generation that has another generation that has another generation that has another... So on and so on so on. Finally, you get to the end generation that can't interbreed with the very first generation. You know? So, it's not a branching thing. It's right. just that over time... You stop being able to interbreed with the original population. Which may or may not still exist, but (laughs) it doesn't mean that monkeys just disappeared. You know, it's
0: (laughs) evolution happens
2: at the population level, not the organism. For the
0: record, we we're talking about a branching issue here. The monkeys that are around today are not the quote unquote monkeys that we that are our ancestors. Another problem with that argument. It's that we share ancestors. With today's monkeys if you go back far enough we share ancestors with every on earth everything i'm not a- again <laughs> <laughs> because at some point we're coming from like single-celled organisms that were all homogenous to well Ooh, uh, oh, early I life know. is pretty weird <laughs> okay We're coming from very, 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 very similar origins and spreading out extremely far across. Diversifying incredibly, yes. got
1: to diversify your assets, man.
2: Okay. I don't have a way to respond to that. All right. So are you satisfied? No. (laughs) Do you understand why there are monkeys? Well, kind of. That part makes sense. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. But uh, I'm curious. Voice your dissatisfaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. So some stuff's really complicated. And I don't see how it could have possibly arrived by evolution.
2: Um, you actually st- pronounced it evil-lution. evolution. Evolution. <laughs> oh God. So e v i l evolution.
0: Kind of so me.
1: How do you explain eyeballs? They're <laughs> how are I Super them? complicated. How, like yeah, look at all the stuff you can ha- see, and they're like, you got sphincters in them. Someone, someone <laughs> got sphincters in your eyes, and you can <laughs> see through them. That's crazy. How did that happen?
0: <laughs> well, we did just have an episode on how complicated eyes are. It's
2: true. We did. But what you seem to think is that the eyeball's complexity is irreducible.
0: <laughs>
2: As if there were some way that you couldn't break down the eye into simpler parts. But we did exactly that in our last episode. We talked about how, the, how complicated the eye is because it's all a bunch of little simple things working together.
0: You know and it didn't just importantly, all of those little simple things would function as some simpler component of an eye completely on their own without everything else.
2: In fact, we can see how simple eyes evolved. By looking through the fossil record, we can look through living organisms that are more simple than we are, where that just have a little patch that has some cells that can detect light, not color, not anything else, just intensity of light. Over time, these patches dented in a little bit get more light in there finally the uh all these little different cells
0: combined and you've got uh, i'm having trouble explaining right, this so there's it's actually, more like yeah. there's a really good video um that we can post in a blog yeah we should do that 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 shows just it's literally it's the simplest thing but it's literally just it's i think it was dawkins right isn't it Richard? is it dawkins yeah it's richard oh wow dawkins. um it's richard dawkins he's kind of
2: a dick but <laughs> he's a damn good evolutionary <laughs> he's biologist a really good evolutionary biologist when it comes to uh, if he's talking about evolutionary biology listen to him if he's talking about anything else <laughs>
0: probably is.
2: he's you probably him. but he's
1: one but of the four horsemen of the uh, abi- oh, the apocalypse God. or i don't know let's whatever. not
0: get into it <laughs> anyway so the he, the way he explains this is so like dave was saying there's some very simple organisms that have effectively just photosensors mm-hmm. they don't detect color they don't like they don't produce images they just activate oh Zach's trying to deep throat his microphone in an attempt to show me that I need to be like pointing mine more at my face. Anyway. It works. So so they have... I've never seen a deep throat symbol fail. um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) photo sensors that just detect light. So they literally like, it's like they turn on and let you know, hey, there's light in the direction that you're facing, right? But you can be more helpful and have more direction if they're dented in. So like Dave was saying, now we capture have, more light we have reason little. for a very small change. There is selective pressure for a very small change in the form of slightly dented in eyeballs. It doesn't capture more light. It allows you to sense direction what direction like. the light is coming from. That's the important. thing. Yeah. Right. So now, now if the top of the little dent lights up, you know there's light below you because the top of your little dent is pointing down a little bit and the bottom is pointing up a little bit. And you can keep doing that. And in fact, you can keep making it more dented in and more dented in, and then at some point you become concave, and then you have a lens, just, or rather a pupil, all of the sudden. Like, as soon as you curve around, there's a little hole that's now even better at telling you what direction things are coming from. In fact, if it's small enough, it just acts as a pinhole camera, and all of the sudden we're talking about eyes in the same way we were talking about human eyes two weeks ago, and we're talking about them in tiny little progressive steps from photo sensors that could conceivably
2: allow us to get there. And it was a lot of these little tiny progressive steps. This right. didn't... Shane says all of a sudden, not quite that. <laughs> it happened over a very long period of time. Like, but it happened. I thousands. think he meant all of a sudden... You have like, these we little got, tiny changes yeah. that build and build and build and build and build and build and build. And you've got this really, really complex structure, the eye. Also, you have sort of another problem in thinking that our eyes are somehow like some sort of perfect thing. Like there's a lot of problems with eyes. I can't see without contacts. What? Me too. I literally cannot see. I would be blind. I would be dead. If we, if we still had to face like extreme natural selective pressures, I would die.
0: I actually have even a better example of that, which I, which I like, I, w- I wish I, I had gotten to like, point out, um, um, during our sensation episode, but I completely forgot about it. Uh, there's a blind spot in your eye, like yep. a, like a right in the freaking middle. Your your optic cord connects to the back of your eye, and, and right there, your right eye right there can't there are no cones and rods because there's a big connection to your optic cord. And so there's now, a bunch, of, a
1: bunch of wires running out of your eye through so, a hole in the back. Yeah, ex-
0: literally that. So literally, you just there's there's a big spot in your vision that your brain is filling in that you can't see. Your eye just completely. It makes so much more sense to attach that somewhere else or to figure out a way to put rods and cones there anyway, and just it didn't happen. And a simple explanation for that is it happened by random chance and we just went with it.
2: Evolution can only work on things that already exist. It can't just make new stuff. It just has to work with what it has.
0: All right. So I think we've answered that pretty thoroughly.
1: All right. I'm sick of acting like a goof. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm curious, what kind of time scales can evolution act on? Like how, how much time do you need to actually get from one, uh, I don't even know,
2: trait amount? That's a good question. Trait. It took modern humans about four billion years, right? Mm-hmm. To go from single-celled organism to
0: human. Which, granted, is a massive But that's a, massive exactly, change. that
2: is a massive evolutionary change. But there are changes that can happen a lot more quickly. For example, there are crickets that had this parasite, and everybody knows crickets, they make noise to attract mates, they go chirp, 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 and they call the pretty ladies over, and they have lots of cricket babies. <laughs> sexual selection. Oh man, bring it back around. But, <laughs> there was a parasite that attacked the ones that made noise. So, huh. you have this parasite that attacks the ones that make noise, and Natural those ones versus sexual die, selection. aren't able to pass on their genes, because they're
0: attacked by a parasite. So in this case, this is... Natural selection winning. Right. This is the opposite of the case with the peacocks, right? So in peacocks, it's pretty obvious that the sexual selection appears to have won out over natural selection. (sighs) It was more important to be sexy... Than
2: than it was to be... Than it was to be be able to avoid
0: predators. In this case, the lack of camouflage, namely them being really loud all the goddamn time, is actually more harmful than what good the the lack of camouflage was doing them in terms of sexual selection.
2: So what happened was there was a simple mutation that caused their wings to be a little bit shorter. Those crickets that had short wings couldn't make noise. They were mute. Now, when you have a parasite that attacks things that make noise, all the things that are left are mute. It took 20 generations 20 generations for an entire cricket population to become entirely mute. It's 10 years. How?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's (laughs) my first question is how how long is a generation? The second question is, do you have any idea how many crickets there were to start? That's a good question. (laughs) A lot. Population size.
2: But still, it it matters that, you know, it only took 20 generations. It only took 10 years, which is a blink of an eye in evolutionary time took four billion years to get from single-celled organisms to people but in only 10 years you can make an entire population of things that formerly relied on sound mute
0: yeah now granted like uh, things that as things get closer to like people from crickets generations take longer right so it's not actually necessarily important to think about it in terms of like actual time as we've allocated as like you know the way we calculate time and more important to think about it in terms of like Reproductive time or generational time, which so, is why
1: that's the first time unit that Dave gave right which was yeah. good
0: Yeah, it was actually that was the perfect way to explain that 20 generations pricing.
2: for people would be what a couple hundred years It
0: would, it would be about 400 400 years years. Yeah. yeah, 20 times 20
2: Which is still years. a very short period of time compared to the amount of time we've been around <laughs> if true. The true. people that existed 400 years ago were not very different from us, right?
0: Yeah. Just like imagine, biologically imagine if all people became mute in 400 years Think about that. That's like Actually,
2: since that's, the 1600s. that's a good way to think about it. That's kind of that's ridiculous. like, no, imagine it if people yeah. just became entirely mute since the 1600s. You know. Something happened in the 1600s that made our entire population mute. That's exactly what happened to those crickets. <laughs> that's how fast evolution can work. Yeah, it's very cool. It's
1: very crazy. So, so this is a that's a good example of would you call that microevolution? Yes.
2: Yes, that's a so, pretty small change. Right, single, like you know, what we covered was got mute.
1: There's still crickets. it was a single still mutation, pretty much the same in every way, except their wings aren't long enough to make a scratchy sound.
2: Yep, all it was was a change in their biology without being a change in their reproductive ability. Well, I guess you know, not dying is pretty so, useful for reproducing. It, but you're right. We should talk about the difference between micro and macro evolution.
1: A lot of people
0: are like, oh, yeah, micro, that
1: totally makes sense. Everything we've talked about, microevolution makes sense.
0: I mean, but, it has to make sense. We literally watch it happen. Right.
1: So, but the thing is, like, yeah, but I mean, crickets will evolve, but they'll always be crickets. Yeah. So, or will they?
2: <laughs> the argument that is had a lot by a lot of, like, a lot of anti evolution interest groups is that microevolution <laughs> is fine and totally understandable, but macroevolution can't work. Basically, that. Microevolution are the small changes that we're talking about, like, for example, crickets becoming mute. Macroevolution are the species changes, like when those birds stopped being able to interbreed. That's macroevolution, when you have a large-scale change between uh, groups so that they make new groups, essentially. That's what macroevolution versus microevolution is. But the problem with the argument that my- macroevolution can't happen is that it just it doesn't make sense to think that small-scale changes over a very long time, a lot of small-scale changes over a very long time, Eventually add up. somehow can't lead to large-scale changes? Right. What kind of thinking is that? Basically, what they're arguing is that Generation 1 made Generation 2, Generation 2 made Generation 3, and so on and so on and so on, until Generation 999 made Generation 1000. Yet... Their argument is that, okay, it's fine, yep, two made three, three made four, four made five, nine hundred and ninety nine made a thousand. But one did not make a thousand. No. People who deny macroevolution are literally denying the law of transitive properties. <laughs> if one made two and two made three and three made four and nine hundred ninety-nine made a thousand, then one made a thousand. It just took a long time. So that's all make, there is to, to it. To make
1: this argument that these small changes can't lead to a larger change, they would wouldn't they have to come up with some mechanism that says this has to be this that constrains microevolution well
0: isn't that the whole thing with that that's they have this whole there is a whole mechanism that already exists that is inaccurately used to describe this and that is the second law of thermodynamics oh (laughs) god that actually applies perfectly here there's a very large group of people that for some reason claim that evolution can't happen because it contradicts or violates the second law of thermodynamics for the record the second law of thermodynamics. Zach, would you like to, as the resident oh. material science chemistry expert <laughs> in the room, yeah, yeah, iterate yeah. The the law of thermodynamics? So, so
1: it's a uh, this is concept of entropy, right? right? And like this has a specific mathematical meaning, uh, but a lot of people will just go like, "Well, it means amount of randomness, amount of chaos." And the idea is that the second law of thermodynamics, which is as far as we know an immutable and definite law and requirement for things, um, says that entropy always increases. You can never, ever, ever make things less random. And so, in that sort of way, you would think like, well, how the heck could you make these, like a human, right? That's like very ordered. It's a specific, it's a human. It does specific things. It's not just like a cells and atoms shooting around everywhere in space. It's a collection of
0: these that has specific functions that are tied together. That's cr- how, how does that explain Right. So the problem here is that people (laughs) people say that, yeah, sure, microevolution might happen, right? Like these very, very small changes. But the second law of thermodynamics holds that they will always be random and never add up to anything important. And so macroevolution won't happen. The problem, (laughs) of course, with this is that the... (laughs) They're fundamentally Sorry. misunderstanding <laughs> the theory, and misusing the, the, the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics only applies to closed settings, okay? The Earth is not that. <laughs> yes, we have an atmosphere. Frequently, we break that atmosphere. Like, every frickin' time we go into space or send something into space or air leaks out, which is always. We or are constantly sunlight
1: streams in, yes, which is an enormous amount of energy always. that essentially give powers off heat by radiation. radiation. Right. So yeah. this
0: this whole notion of, like... Yeah, really. So this whole notion of, like, you know, oh, entropy can't increase in this closed system of Earth is absurd because Earth is not a closed system. Us getting more ordered, ordered, quote-unquote, which is also like not a completely accurate representation right. of what entropy is, but us getting more ordered does not mean that the universe as a whole, as a closed system, is getting more ordered. We are tiny.
1: In fact, it is required by the second law yes. of thermodynamics that the universe becomes more ordered, or at least stays the same. Um, well, no, actually, if the, if the Earth becomes more ordered, right, then... The rest of the universe has to become less ordered to compensate. Right. At least equally, if not even yes, more, if not even disordered. More. Right. So. Yeah.
0: So there's like a very simple answer to that stupid, <laughs> stupid, 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 stupid argument. And that is the second law of thermodynamics does not impl- apply to open systems of which the earth is obviously Life wanted. is one. Yes. Yeah. So... Moving on. <laughs> don't get more angry. So far, it turns into
2: all of these problems with evolution are f- uh, f- first off either not problems because they're <laughs> misunderstanding the problem, or they're misunderstanding the evolution, right. or they're misunderstanding the natural laws of our right. universe. You know, it's it turns into these very simple answers that it's just the only reason people so far have had any problems with evolution existing is because they don't understand it
0: yeah yeah speaking of not understanding it there there is there's the one big case that's been going on forever. People have been making this argument since Darwin. Where it's, are all the transitional fossils
1: where's the croco duck
0: <laughs> where are all of the where are all of the fossils that show the organisms between two organisms that we see now and it's an interesting argument, but again falls
2: flat zach you joked where's the croco duck <laughs> but that's literally what a lot of people think they're going to find <laughs> they literally going to th- they think they're going to find some sort of direct exact hybrid of two things but as we've covered evolution is a lot of small changes over a very long period of time so it's you're not going to see these crazy changes happening in a single fossil
1: so you're, you're telling me that a crocodile isn't just going to grow a duck's head and then slowly <laughs> shrink into the rest of its it's the rest of its body into a duck that's not how evolution works that'd
2: usually be, that'd be cool <laughs> but
0: that's kind of like pokemon <laughs>
2: evolution pokemon is more akin to metamorphosis yeah. so Seriously. anyway right.
0: it's a bad translation yeah.
2: yeah transitional fossils it's it's a weird thing it stems from our misunderstanding of what to look for in a fossil when you look at the fossil record, it shows most of life. Everything was some sort of hard part that could be preserved. And okay. God damn it. Will you <laughs> grow up? Christ, the dick jokes. <laughs> so if you look at it that way, if you look at, okay, evolution is a like long series of little changes and all these fossils build into other fossils. Every single fossil is a transitional fossil. (laughs) Literally every single one represents a transition from some state to another. Every single fossil is a transitional fossil. I think a very
0: key point that's missed by this argument is the notion of like these end states. Mm. Right? Like there's this idea of like there's these plateaus where like alligator is a species and everything prior to that was in between something else and alligator. Which is Absurd. Yeah. It was, there, there's like, there is no end game. Things are always evolving. There's, everything is a continuum. Like, we are not at the final state of human beingness. Yeah. Mutations are going to continue happening pretty much no matter what we do as long as we continue to have babies. Also, even if we ignore that whole idea, there are really
2: good transition fossils. <laughs> <laughs> For example, Pachycetus and Ambulocetus. These are fossils that are. Very good representations of the form between the original land animal and whales. The thing that went from a land animal to being a whale. It looks kind of like a whale, looks kind of like a dog, has short little legs, fins, maybe. It's weird. There's a lot of these little steps. And Pachycetus and Ambulocetus are part of those steps. They are perfect transitional fossils. There's also Tiktaalik, which (laughs) looks like a mix of a lungfish and an amphibian and it pretty much represents the first vertebrate to walk on land it's the first like fish thing that started walking on land it is a transitional fossil it perfectly represents the transition from
0: fish the problem of course is that people looking for transitional fossils and saying they don't exist are saying well no that's not a transitional fossil that's a thing I want to find the thing in between that thing and some other thing which also we... exists <laughs> is of course it's a... also somewhere right, right. but the, the, the absurdity of it of course is that like everything is transitional so every single fossil we find is a transitional fossil so it's just a completely moot argument
2: yep it's just a complete misunderstanding of what to look for
0: with fossils yes agreed um yeah. So there is one thing I guess that we should. Do you want to talk about the last thing before the last last thing? Um, so the 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 last little myth misconception thing we have to talk about here relates to what I was saying earlier with binary and corrupted files, right? Like, what are the chances that you have an image file that is like some really you know really <laughs> crappy like iPhone picture that you took in dim lighting of like you know. Some a rave, side of Dave's nose, right? or whatever, something. whatever yeah. it is, something weird. And
2: Dave's it, nose at a rave, and
0: <laughs> due to like, and due to the file getting corrupted, you open it and suddenly like the Mona Lisa pops up, right? <laughs> like, what are the chances that something good happens other than you open it and your computer goes, "God damn it, the file's corrupted!" Like, what'd you do, right? <laughs> so, like, and the argument, of course, now, you know, translated to this mutation for life is. What I mean, we hear there's a lot of mutations that cause a lot of extremely serious problems yes, right? absolutely. In fact, probably maybe even most of them cause issues because if you think about all the different permutations you could have for genes and for life, most of them are there's a be lot of them most of them even, if you take them, yeah, would just would, won't would work honestly good. just straight up right off the bat, not work and probably kill whatever was trying to be alive. <laughs> um, so yeah so like, You know, that being said, like, what are the chances that enough of these beneficial mutations would happen that they would actually cause evolution to occur? And we have here, apparently, there are people who argue that, in fact, no beneficial mutations have ever been documented, That which sounds completely absurd to me. Please, Dave, explain why that's absurd. So, the problem (laughs) with that is that it assumes that no
2: benefit, that mutations are, so okay, yes, most mutations are bad, but it doesn't mean that all mutations are bad, or that even beneficial mutations are rare. They happen all the time. And like you said earlier with the red eyes thing, a lot of them are just sort of random and neutral, and may have some good effect later that shows up later. But there are beneficial mutations, we've seen them. Here's an example. Uh, E. coli was shown to be able to adapt to high and low temperatures by sorry excuse me still a little bit sick so basically yeah actually I'm sick sick of anti-evolution crap We'll, we'll ignore the E. coli we'll go to the guppies guppies in a river in South America were studied by this researcher shout out to Taylor for letting me borrow Beak of the Finch it's a wonderful book go read it so guppies in this stream in these streams in the South in South America could flow downwards but not go back up so you've got these really good distinct populations and as you go farther down the guppies have a lot more predators because the predators keep getting washed out at the very top of the river you've got fewer predators so the uh the guppies at the bottom were much more cryptic and you know they
1: cryptic you mean they like they they used obscure language and couldn't communicate well with their peers (laughs)
2: like i just did (laughs) by using jargon um no, they were more camouflaged, camouflaged, is what cryptic means. So They had a lot of predators, and they were a little bit darker colored, a little bit less gaudy and flashy. But the guppies at the top of the stream were very gaudy and pretty, and they had no predators, so they wanted to look as sexy as possible. And the researcher confirmed this by taking guppies and putting them in lab environments, or taking guppies and putting them in different streams with different predators, combinations, and they found the same thing every single time, is that mutations just occurred that allowed the guppies to better fit whatever environment they were in. If they were in an environment with a lot of predators, they'd be more camouflaged and more likely to survive. If they were in a place with very few predators, they were able to get really pretty and really sexy and really show off to the girls. (laughs) And so, this is also a really cool example because it's an example of how natural selection and the sexual selection, natural selection being they want to be camouflaged to avoid predators, and sexual selection being they want to be gaudy and colorful to attract mates how they can act in totally different directions. And again, all it is is little mutations that happened every single time. Beneficial mutations just popped up because the predators would take out the things with bad mutations or the things with that weren't as colorful in the non-predator streams wouldn't get any mates. So sexual selection would take out the bad mutations. Natural selection would take out the bad mutations. So actually, the beneficial mutations, not only do they happen all the time, very frequently, they get... They... Uh, it's a get amplified positive yeah it's positive feedback positive feedback, feedback loop. loop where you get okay so it's good so it's going to be better because everything else dies <laughs> that's and the thing propagates. beneficial mutations absolutely happen all the time it's Pretty just ridiculous to say that there are no right. beneficial mutations and
0: for for people it's probably for human beings it's probably a little bit hard to see because like our selective pressures are a lot less obvious than like guppies in a we're river. not being
2: hunted down by you know prawns yeah exactly so at least not all of us <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> probably someone
0: <laughs> <poor guy>. statistically <laughs> poor, speaking poor some
1: guy got at eaten least by prawns. someone thinks he is being hunted down by yeah, prawns so, or she
0: um so anyway so it, because of that it's it's a lot easier to see when otherwise like when uh selective pressures would have otherwise caused mutations to enter this feedback loop because it's ex- it's really, 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 really complicated. With the guppies, it was super easy because was, there was less predators and more predators, and we could just vary that and figure out how we can adjust this feedback loop. So That's a pretty awesome thing. Dave was telling me about that on the way here. Um, do we want to we'll move on to the th- last, last yeah. thing because we got like 10 minutes left?
2: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we've covered all these different myths about evolution. So we've covered why people saying evolution is wrong are wrong, but let's cover why people saying evolution is right are right.
1: Which is arguably the more important thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, we wanted to cover the controversial right, stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is the part where we get to talk about what the like interesting parts about evolution are that show that evolution is a thing. Yeah, like, how do not we just, know? Yeah. How do we know evolution happened? Well, again, we talked about the fossil record we talked about how we can literally see change over time represented in rocks by other organisms over billions of years just stuck in the ground and there they are and you can look at them and you can see how things changed very obvious one that's probably the, one of the biggest ones in that fossil record just literally lays out the timeline of evolution pretty straightforwardly that's pretty cool there's genetics, which we've talked about how it can cause mutations. We've seen genes can do different things. We've seen how genes can survive and reproduce better depending on the environment. So genetics is also a really good piece of evidence for evolution. There's also some other stuff like homology. Homology. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> homology means things that are the same. So all it is is you have structures in certain organisms that may do different things, may look different, may be totally different to the outside, but look very similar on the inside. Oh, yeah, I see what you've got listed here, and I can think about it. For example, imagine a human hand. Just look at your hand. You'd be like, okay, so you've got... Don't even
0: have to imagine it. Yeah, it's right. (laughs) You front. have two of
2: them. There's probably people out there Best case scenario. Best case scenario. (laughs) Best case scenario, you've got a few. More than two. (laughs) Anyway, look at your hands. Look at your hands. You've got a couple bones in them, and... You can tell, okay, so you can imagine how the bone structure of your hand would look, right? We've all seen, like, x-rays of human hands. So, now imagine a bat wing. Now, for those of you who are unaware, Google not the, what bat not wings the, look not like. Not the superhero. Oh, God. So, so many bat a bat, like here. the <laughs> little flying mammal. Imagine what their hands look like. If you Google bat wings, you'll see that their wings are just hands. It's the same bone, the structure, bone structure, just Changed a little bit due to the reason that due to some selective pressure, causing them to have wings. All it is is big bones that are sticking out at weird angles with membranes in between that they flap to fly.
0: Which look exactly like webbed hands. It looks
2: just webbed hands with very long fingers. Exactly, gross. You look at a whale fin. Google the bones of a whale fin. It's the same bones that are in your hand, just shaped into a fin. Your their with whale humeruses, which is your uh, for, or, what, what is this part of your bicep bone? Humorous, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, people don't know what the humerus is. Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought that you, were, you weren't
1: sure if that was the right word. No,
2: that's so that's a bone.
0: It it's just shorter. Elbow.
2: Yeah, there you go. It's just shorter in whales. It's stumpier because they have fins. Stumpy. It's all Stumpy the, the same whale. bones. Google homology with human hands and bat wings and stuff, and you'll see all sorts of cool images that show how all these bones are the same bones, so just all, in different shapes. Do
1: they all have a common ancestor hand?
2: Well, that's the point. Maybe not a hand, but they all had some sort of common ancestral bone structure that was diversified and yep. diverged into different forms and shapes depending on selective pressures. This
0: is really important to note. It's not that, like, whales have hands secretly and bats have hands secretly and everything looks like our hands. We're just using <laughs> hands as, like... The base. Comparative, yeah. Those are the ones that are attached to us, so it's the easiest one to compare to.
2: Our ancestor had something with all the same bones, and for every for whales and bats and people, we all diverged in different ways, and so these bones changed a little bit. Well, a lot of it. The last thing we want to talk about is vestigial organs. Vestigial organs are organs and bodies that don't really seem to have any purpose. They don't really do anything. But they're there. And why are they there? Well, a lot of times, vestigial organs imply some sort of ancestral form. Whales. We talked about whales a lot in this episode. I love whales. I'm glad I get to talk about them so much. If you ever looked at a whale, whales have front fins, right? And then nothing until their tail. Well, if you look at the skeleton of a whale, they have leg bones inside their body that don't stick out. They just have leg bones (laughs) now why the hell would (laughs) whales have (laughs) leg bones if they swim they just do they're sitting in the body well logic would say that and because we have fossils that show how we can see how these leg bones got smaller and smaller in different organisms that went to the sea it shows us that whales ancestors used to live on land used to use those legs to walk around And once they got more and more into the water, they didn't need them anymore. So they lost them. And it's just these small scale changes over time due to selective pressures that cause these differences in different organisms. Evolution is really, really straightforward. It just follows very simple rules. And that's all there is to it. It's a simple rule that causes a lot of crazy shit. So we've got a Twitter question from one of our fans. Oh
0: boy, let's go through real quick. Cause we got four minutes. Question
2: is: Is natural selection not driving the total number of species towards one? He's asking if natural selection is somehow pushing all of the different species into one big homogenous species. Can I, can I answer, try to answer this one. Yes, yeah. go. Oh, okay. okay. This so is great. You so I would I would you
1: test your knowledge that no, it's not because there are many different niches and they each require different traits, and so if you had one. Thing that had some specific traits, it wouldn't be able to survive in all niches, and then it would be a
2: bad thing. Spot on. Unless humans some... suck at being whales, whales suck at being humans.
1: I suppose there could <laughs> be some kind of uber species that might accidentally evolve. That, like the, if anyone reads DC comics, like the Martians, they can just turn into anything right, they can do and like they want. change their density and fly. The only thing that they're just afraid of fire. That's it. Well, that's a bit outlandish. So if they didn't have that. They would just be the pretty much the optimal species. Right. There but might it, only be just them if they killed everything else. <laughs> well, that's true. pretty outlandish. Right. We know that's that, ridiculous.
2: That evolution can only work on things that exist. It's not going to cause these, you know, some sort of uber... It could, but it the could point could is It could eventually
0: that, cause the uber species to happen. However, it it's not it's that... Not, it doesn't seem no to make that But that there's a lot of happen. contradicting
2: things. Like, right. we can't have flippers and also be good at making tools
0: well unless you could turn your hands into flippers right okay have to, yeah have but to again some weird thing <laughs> <laughs> i
2: maybe evolution will introduce shape-shifting somewhere along the line but as of right now <laughs> so cool. we haven't seen any shape-shifting occur all right so, except for the long-term shape-shifting <laughs> 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 oh my god we're all shapeshifters, Brilliant. sort we're
0: of shape well we aren't
2: right all every well, population. Oh yeah.
0: well, no, we are. I mean, you sh- you shift you shift. Yeah, your shape from a baby. From when you're a baby <laughs> until now, your shape
1: has You just try really hard to g- turn into adult, and then you All right, follow. I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna say we should sign off now because Alrighty. we're probably gonna get cut off if we don't.
1: Okey dokey, or um, jokey.
0: Listen to the hockey game right after us, if you so please.
2: Thanks for joining us. Hope you learned something. Hope you will start to think about evolution a little more. Scientifically speaking,
1: That
0: was pretty awesome. We should make an image. All right. Later. Peace.